0: From Florida, our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look at the markets uh, for this morning. Uh, First of all, over in Australia, the ASX 200... Uh, if I can find it for you, just one moment. The uh, the ASX 200, there we go, the ASX 200 in Australia, up 0.6%. In Japan, uh, stocks are flat. The Nikkei 225 not really moving this morning. The Cosby in South Korea is up about 0.6%. Looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open about 60 points higher. A lot of movement in the cryptocurrency markets uh, this morning following that news of, uh, of the almost insolvency of FTX. The Bitcoin is currency is trading at about $18,500 right now. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock coming up after the news fact chat with Jadis Wong and Brian Wong. The weather forecast, sunny periods. Maximum temperature of around 26 degrees, and the outlook is for sunny periods in the next couple of days. 23 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. (laughs) Times 831. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news.
1: Thanks, Peter. People across the United States are voting in midterm elections that will determine which party controls Congress. The Democrats fear they'll lose their majority in the House of Representatives, but there's much tighter competition for the Senate. Republican control of either chamber would seriously constrain President Biden's remaining two years in office. These people have been casting their ballots.
2: I don't want to use the word danger, but it's it's, it's, it's a problem with what's happening around with the extremists on both sides. Democracy is on the ballot.
3: I voted because the future is so important. Most people are thinking about what they can get out of this election. It's not what they can get out of the election, it's what we're going to leave behind for the children.
1: The Prime Minister of Pakistan has told the COP27 summit in Egypt that loss and damage caused by climate change should be an integral part of the meeting's agenda. Shabazz Sharif was speaking three months after the devastating floods that ravaged Pakistan. Earlier, the Namibian president told the BBC the world's biggest polluters were criminals and the world's poorer nations were their victims. The BBC's Peter Okwacha says many African nations are unhappy.
0: A lot of them are really, really angry, and it's not just from this cop. From last year in Glasgow, I spoke to some other presidents as well who expressed the same amount of anger, maybe not as publicly as President Guy has done. Some youth activists here say enough is not being done. Other African presidents are being a bit more somber in, in the way that they are talking to the world about how climate change is affecting them.
1: Sweden's new Prime Minister has sought to reassure Turkey that Stockholm will live up to all the commitments it made to Ankara when it was invited to join NATO. Wolf Christensen was speaking in Ankara after meeting with President Erdogan, who said he was expecting to see concrete steps from Stockholm in the field of counterterrorism.
2: Sweden promised to be a security provider for all NATO members. This is why I want to reassure all Turks... Sweden will live up to all the obligations made to Turkey in countering the terrorist threat, both before becoming
1: a member of NATO and as a future ally. Mr Erdogan added Sweden's recent resumption of arms exports to Turkey was a positive step. Last week, Sweden said it would distance itself from the Syrian Kurdish YPG militia in its bid to win Turkey's support for NATO membership. Turkey views the YPG as an extension of the PKK, an outlawed Kurdish separatist movement. A cabinet minister appointed by the new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak just two weeks ago has resigned. Gavin Williamson has been accused of bullying. You're listening to the News from RTHK.
4: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Jan. Today we're talking about the relaxation of COVID restrictions for inbound tour groups. Under the new arrangement that's expected to start later this month, inbound tour groups will be allowed to visit attractions such as theme parks, museums and temples once they arrive and be able to dine in partitioned areas of designated restaurants. This comes as the chief executive, John Lee, said the government had no plans to scrap the Amber Coat System, the three-day medical surveillance period for inbound travelers, or remove the mandatory face mask requirement for now. So how much impact will the relaxation of restrictions have on the tourism industry? And how much more business will it bring the catering sector? After 9.15, we'll speak to an expert about last night's blood moon total lunar eclipse. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page chat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at RTHK.hk or give us a call at two three three eight two six six. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined on the line by Ronald Wu, ex officio member of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, and Simon Wong, the president of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Good morning, Mr. Wu. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Wong. Thanks for thanks for joining us on the program. Um, now, Mr. Wu, the Travel Industry Council has welcomed the new arrangement. Its chairwoman described it as a good start. What's your view on this relaxation of COVID restrictions?
5: Um, uh, we 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 take a very similar view. saying that it is a, it is definitely a good start towards um, bringing Hong Kong back back to normality. But. Um, as, as 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 uh the chair lady has said it's just a start, so we we still have a long way to go to um to attract tourists to come to Hong kong again and as uh, we don't i mean we we do expect uh this relaxation will bring in some two groups but um in terms of the numbers we we do not expect it to be to be very uh, significant at this moment.
4: All right. Um, I have an email here from our listener, Richard. Um, He says, I'm starting to wonder if John Lee is from another celestial place like the moon. Did he think all those foreigners at the Sevens were tourists? I know there were a few from South Africa, but that was about it. Tour groups will not come here. Um, and that comment is from Richard, who who doesn't sound very optimistic at all. And and I was discussing this with uh, Brian before the program, and he and he seems to think there were more than a few tourists at the seven, right, Brian? Yes. So, so Mr. Wu, uh, what do others in the travel industry think? I mean, will there be uh, are tour groups interested in coming to Hong Kong?
5: Um, we 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 as we said. We- only a start and we we do not expect this relaxation will will revive the the industry but but rather um more like testing water or use this as a pilot program to to show to to the government or to show to hong kong that um welcoming tourists back um will not bring in additional cases or risk to to the to the overall um um, pandemic risk so that um, hopefully uh, in a very short time we will be able to, uh, to welcome tourists to come to Hong Kong again um, on an individual arrival basis.
3: So there's a lot of chat about tour groups and also relaxation for them, but I was just wondering for sort of individual tourists who are travelling not by groups, uh, do you see, you know, they're coming to Hong Kong anytime soon and a resumption of travel? And more generally speaking, you know, how many tourists are there on a sort of solo basis? Uh, do they travel to Hong Kong as opposed to in tour groups?
5: So. Um, I, think, I think at this stage we, we, we are seeing non-Hong Kong residents coming to Hong Kong um, under this zero plus three policy but but most of them are here either for a family visit or for business so for leisure travelers um because because um they they still have a lot of choices as to as to choose to go to places that have completely relaxed the the social distancing rules such as nearby cities japan singapore um so i mean they from what i heard they still want to come will come to Hong Kong to visit, but they will wait until until we until the city have um completely losing this zero plus three um restrictions or these um PCR tests on a on a on a 2 days interval and then by then they will they will i'm sure they will want to come to hong kong because hong kong remains a very attractive city
4: all right so so that's the view of the uh, travel industry what about the uh, catering sector mr wong um travelers and inbound tour groups will be able to dine at uh, partitioned areas and restaurants right after they arrive uh, how much benefit will it bring the sector mr wong
2: uh, hello hi hey uh at present, I, I, I estimated that there will uh, uh, not be too many t- uh, two groups coming to Hong Kong under uh, these uh, restrictions. Um, the fact is, um, you know, the uh, travelers coming to Hong Kong have to go through uh, the three days surveillance and also have to uh, do, um, you know, the different times of. Um, uh, tests, including the RAT and the PCR. Um, this uh, would actually curb uh, people's intention to uh, come to Hong Kong. But uh, this is, uh, you know, one step uh, forward um, to um, um, give the uh, some kind of uh, confidence for the government to further relax the, the restrictive measures. Uh, we welcome these, uh, ideas, but, um, for, uh, the, uh talking about the benefits for the catering industry, uh, we don't see there will be a certain burst of, uh, business recovery, uh, for our industry. Um, especially when we are talking about, uh, designated, uh, restaurants, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, previously, when we, um, you know, work with the uh, tourism uh, industry, uh, some uh, Chinese restaurants, uh, if they have uh, large uh, uh, areas in their restaurants, they would be able to house, um, you know, a lot more um, travelers, uh, you know, dining in the premises. But uh, in 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 this um, arrangement, uh, I think uh, only uh, the designated restaurants can be allowed to uh, host uh, the travelers. This is not an ideal uh, case for us. Uh, for example, like uh, a lot of travelers, uh, when they come to Hong Kong, one of the attractions is uh, to visit. Um, food stores and um, restaurants with uh, special features. Um, but in this case, if um, it's not, if the, the, the uh, arrangement is not open to all type of uh, catering um, uh, institutions, then um, well, the uh, uh, the the business that can bring it into us is uh, limited.
3: Uh, Simon, would you also be able to perhaps comment on the nature of cross-border tourists coming down from the mainland and how significant is that as a source of revenue and do you see them coming back anytime soon given the very stringent quarantine uh, restrictions and measures uh, implemented by the mainland government? Well, uh,
2: mainland travellers account for about 75 to 80% um, of the number of travellers in Hong Kong, like um, before COVID, we um, have about sixty million travelers from uh, over the world, including mainland. Uh, about forty-six million from mainland, and um, while for almost three years, we are not able to, um, you know, host any, you know, uh, or uh, feature any any accommodations for these travelers uh, because of the COVID restrictions. Um, even with this relaxation of the measures, um, I don't see uh, there is an urge for, for the mainland travelers coming to Hong Kong uh, at this moment because uh, in the mainland, uh, there are still a, well quite a very strict uh, measures measures uh, you know if you if uh, travelers coming to Hong Kong and then return to China they still have uh, seven plus three uh, measures uh, so that they, they have to be quarantined. and um, in this case uh, I think the um, the two group measures um, which are going to be happened uh, in this month um, Uh, Are mainly you know designed to attract travelers from Southeast Asia and um, like uh, you know uh, countries from uh, Singapore, Malaysia or Thailand, you know something like that. But uh, for the mainland travelers, uh, I don't think there will be um, too many uh, people you know would be happy to come to Hong Kong if. There are still
4: set uh, uh, restrictions. Right, and so far, um, Mr. Wu and uh, Mr. Wong, both of you, have said uh, you don't expect uh, too many tour groups to uh, come to Hong Kong under this uh, uh, arrangement, at least uh, at the beginning. Um, why yes. is that, uh, Mr. Wu? I mean, is it because uh, people have already uh, uh, planned their, their travel, uh, the travel plans, or or, uh, or is uh, Hong Kong just uh, not uh, the top priority right now?
5: Um. One thing I think I think um, uh, you said it correct is that people a lot of people have already made their business um, sorry their Christmas plans their holiday plans, and second of all, um, you no know, it it will be it will be quite difficult to to first explain to to the travelers. Um, um, you know what what you can do when you are on the tour because they, the, the travelers even if they come in groups they will not be with the tour guy or do the crew groups 24 hours a day so when to let them know what you can do what you cannot do uh, and what the difference is why is there a difference so i think I think it will be it' will be quite quite difficult in the beginning for 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 non non Hong Kong residents to, to understand this exemptions that we've we've got and uh, and uh, and to to suggest them to come to, to visit Hong Kong um, under this exemption of grouping group group uh, group travelers uh, policy that allows them to visit. Um, Stadium, uh, sorry, museums or um, dining at different restaurants with partition while they're still under this um, amber cold.
4: And, and Mister Wu, have you been uh, speaking to uh, travel agents in, in other places, uh, other countries? I mean, are, are there um, people interested in coming to Hong Kong?
5: Um, there, there are a lot of interests for people coming to coming to Hong Kong because Hong Kong has always been a popular destination. We we serve over sixty million visitors a year before COVID um what what however what is what is really stopping them from doing so now is is because of the restrictions that we, we we still have within the city um so they would a lot of them said they would eventually come to Hong kong but um they would wait until um you know further relaxation of of the social distancing rules and they would choose to visit other cities first um because they they normally tra- tra- travelers normally travel two three times a year right so they would rather wait until maybe twenty twenty three when When things are more clear, when they know that when they come to Hong Kong, they don't need to go, um, do PCR tests every, every two days, um, you know, they know that they might be able to not wear a mask outdoor. So, um, these are a lot of questions that we get from, from overseas agents asking about, um, when these rules will be, will be relaxed.
3: Now, Ronald, on that note, um, have you sought to speak with and also work with perhaps uh, representatives in LegCo or the government in negotiating uh, further compromise and relaxations, Uh, somewhat like what we saw actually this weekend at at Rugby Sevens, where very clearly uh, there, there were... I suppose a discretionary considerations that were in play and uh, it was a modus vivendi was brokered that allowed for uh, tourists to to participate in the festivities all they wanted uh, without necessarily uh, being bound by excessive masking restrictions are you trying to work on something similar with the government is that in the, in the works right now
5: uh, it has been a working progress for for a long time in, in pushing for a zero plus zero policy for for the tourists And and, uh, as I said at the beginning, um, this group group exemption, this group tourist exemption is is a start. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, uh, with uh, the data, the data that comes with this exemption will will prove to the government that there's no additional risk for, for further relaxing social distancing rules.
4: And uh, of course, uh, Mr. Wong, um, not all details in, in this new arrangement uh, have been ironed out yet. Uh, uh, do you have any idea what kind of epidemic measures uh, restaurants will need to adopt for, for this new arrangement?
2: Well, first of all, we have to designate uh, a special area um, you know, for people uh, holding the amber coat. And um, for this kind of uh, arrangement, is, well, I see that not all restaurants can uh, accommodate this kind of measures. Um, besides, um, if I, well, we really don't know about the details um, of the arrangement because uh, if um, uh, some restaurants can, cannot have a designated uh, region, uh, especially uh, under, you know, the, the restrictive measures that we, we might have to have a special room arrangement, I um, can be just uh, have some partitions. Um, you know, those partitions are not lengthy enough to 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 reach the ceiling. Uh, then, is it going to be al- allowed? And uh, of course, we would uh, follow the the other um, current uh, restrictive measures, um, such as the, the you know uh, body temperature. Uh, checking and also uh, doing uh, all types of uh, anti-pandemic uh, uh, pe- uh, measures in our in our premises. Um, but the thing is, uh, the, well uh, for small restaurants, we are not able to facilitate uh, uh, this kind of arrangement, especially uh, when Hong Kong with uh, 17,000 restaurants. And, um, you know, 96% of uh, these restaurants are, you know, SMGs. And some are very small restaurants, but they are very good uh, restaurants which provide very good food uh, and, you know, specialty uh, cuisines for travelers. Uh, But um, this would be left out in the list. Uh, I I don't think it's fair for... um, this arrangement and um, also of course um, if the uh, measures uh, right now is under 0 plus 3 and we are looking forward to uh, going forward with uh, 0 plus 0 and also with the condition that all the uh, restrictive measures such as the RAT, PCR um, have to be lifted and um, But uh, there's still a lot of uh, detailed um, discussions about the arrangement because, like you know, for tourists coming to Hong Kong, if um, at night time they might want to go out uh, by themselves to visit bars and some other places, then are are they able to enter those places, and uh, how you know there are still a lot of um you know the things that we have to
3: Now, a piece of feedback that we've often heard from tourists navigating the very complex quagmire, that's the health code system, is that it's really hard to fathom, you know, if this is amber, if this is red or if this is blue, you know, what exactly is going on when it comes to the codes? And honestly, if you're travelling for leisure, you wouldn't want to remember or try and memorise all of these arcane rules, so to speak. So I was just wondering, actually, Ronald, what do you make of the possibility that the code system could be further simplified to uh, make life easier for those who are just trying to, to have a, a swell time as opposed to have a difficult time um, trying to figure out all of these coding systems? <laughs>
5: um, yeah, but I, I think that will be very difficult um, operational, from, from an operational standpoint, to, to provide um, a, a different system for tourists and a, and a different system for, for locals because given that they are all entering the same premises, right? So so um we hopefully eventually the health code will, will, will no longer be needed, but I think in the short run, um this, this is one of the items that um we, we might have to compromise to uh in order to uh to to ask for further relaxation of, of the rules.
4: Right. And uh, Mr. Wong, um, earlier um, Mr. Wu was saying that he probably expects uh, more two groups uh, to come to Hong Kong maybe uh, in the new year, in uh, 2023 or early 2023. Is that what you also expect?
2: Well, of course, we hope that travellers would come back to Hong Kong. But um, under these present restrictions, uh, travellers, when... Well, if they uh, want to make arrangements to travel, um, you know, uh, they might uh, plan ahead of time. And today is already the 9th of uh, November. It's not too far away from Christmas. And um, probably both of the travelers intending to uh, do their traveling have already made their plans. And uh, I'm just um, worry about um, how many, uh, you know, uh, travelers would come aboard uh, for the Christmas and um, adding to that, you know, I'm also afraid that a a lot of uh, people uh, in Hong Kong, citizens in Hong Kong uh, is going to leave Hong Kong traveling to other countries uh, for the, the holidays. And uh, that would bring another, you know, uh, throw to our business. And uh, if you see that, um, you know, the, after the announcement of the zero point, uh, zero 0.3 measures, um, you know, a lot of uh, Hong Kong citizens, uh, you know, just book their tickets and uh, leave Hong Kong into other countries. Uh, in fact, I just uh, returned from France, um, you know, after spending uh, more, or, or nearly three weeks uh, in, in Europe. And, um, you know, there we don't have any type of restrictions. We don't have to wear masks. We don't, well, we can enter any premises we we want to do. And um, so why people would like to come to Hong Kong with the present uh, restrictions? and um well if we are, if we see that the, the number of cases in hong kong after ruby seven um has not been bouncing back uh to a high level then why
4: So, well, the, the reason why I'm asking about this is because uh, it, I was just wondering if Mr Wu is right and uh, in early 2023, we get uh, more tour groups coming to Hong Kong. Will there be enough people, uh, at, like will there be enough staff at restaurants or hotels to, uh, to manage all these, uh, these uh, visitors? Because right now, when you go yeah. into hotels, I mean, you, you do notice there, there, you know, sometimes there are not enough staff. I mean, there could be more. Yeah. What was your view?
2: Well, this is one of the issues that we are uh, we have to deal with. Uh, we are now in fact a sort of um, manpower in our industry. Uh, even our business has not been recovered, and we still find hard uh, to recruit, um, you know, workers in, in our industry. Um, if um, you know, there will be. Uh, more travelers coming to Hong Kong, we will, uh, you know, uh, face the same uh, difficulties in recruiting, um, you know, the frontline people. And um, at at present, if we um, employ, um, you know, some temporary staff, uh, we have to pay up to uh, over 100 Hong Kong dollars per hour and this uh, would add further uh, pressures on on our business and expenses. Uh, you know, even even if we don't have uh, or we don't have uh, 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 too many travelers coming from abroad, um, we still have to deal with the local people spending, uh, uh, you know, dining in restaurants. of people. Uh, so, uh, it, with the tour group arrangement, we are also afraid that we might have to designate um, special team of staff to serve, on, you know, travelers. Because uh, under the Amber Code and also the uh, measures, we have to, you know, to make sure that.
3: And, and just very quickly, what is one thing, if there's one thing you could recommend to the government, Simon, that they could do to help ameliorate the problems you're facing right now, what's that one thing?
2: Well, I have been urging the government to relax uh, you know, more uh, restrictive measures such as
4: Uh, Mr. Wong, we'll have to uh, take a short break for the 9 o'clock news. Uh, Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Simon Wong, the President of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Many thanks also to Ronald Wu, ex-officio member of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents. And uh, in around uh, three minutes' time, we'll discuss the arrangement with Dr. Siddharth Strida, a clinical virologist at the University of Hong Kong. And after 9.15, we'll speak to an expert about last night's rare blood moon a total lunar eclipse if you have any comments or questions for our guests today you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us of course on 233 now here's the weather sunny intervals with a top temperature of around 25 degrees winds moderate east to north right now it's uh 23 degrees at the observatory and the relative humidity is 74 percent Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Brian Wong and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're talking about the relaxation of COVID restrictions for inbound tour groups. And uh, like I mentioned at the start of the program, inbound tour groups will be allowed to visit attractions such as theme parks, museums and temples once they arrive and be able to dine in partitioned areas of designated restaurants. To comment on the arrangement, we're now joined on the line by Dr Sudath Strida, a clinical virologist at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Dr. Strida. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, So what's your view on the new arrangement uh, for tour groups?
6: Uh, I think it's an incremental change uh, that may not actually have a lot of benefit for the tourism industry because if the mainland border remains effectively closed and Macau is not significantly opening up either, Uh, I I struggle to see whether Hong Kong is really going to be a hub for tour groups uh, to the region. So it may not give that extra kick to the industry. And, uh, yeah, it it just, uh, it also begs the question why uh, tour groups are being selectively given this privilege. I don't think the risk from tour groups is uh, any um, lower than risks from individual travelers. So I think uh, we really should look at uh, effectively relaxing measures for all all uh, classes of incoming travellers, and not just tour groups, to really get tourists back into the city.
4: Right. Looking at the new arrangement, um, details are still being ironed out. Uh, when we look at the dining arrangement, it will be a uh, partitioned area of, uh, in, in a, inside a designated inside designated restaurants. Is that satisfactory?
6: I mean, it, it just makes, uh, the extra rules makes things uh, pretty difficult for restaurants, I'd say. Like, you need uh, additional requirements like this um, just for a certain class of traveler. I think it just uh, increases the level of complexity of the rules that they're already having with with uh, no definite uh, scientific rationale. So I, I personally think it would be better to do away with these rules completely and uh, scrap the AMBER code system so basically anybody who's coming into Hong Kong can have a decent uh, uh, travelling experience, which is what uh, many of our neighbours in the region are already beginning to do. So they have got to start moving in the direction of uh, normal a little bit quicker.
3: Thank you, Doctor. Now, the government offsites, um, you know, health and scientific considerations as a basis for their staggered relaxation of rules. Could you perhaps comment specifically on what you think the likely consequences or effects of, you know, a, a rapid relaxation of the rules, a lifting of uh, social distancing requirements, and also the health code system? You know, what are the likely consequences of that? And is it really as bad as the government claims it might be?
6: So here's the thing. I mean, we've had restrictions uh, for pretty much most of the last uh, two two years since 2020. Um, in the age of Omicron, uh, the effect of the restrictions on virus circulation um, has, has weakened considerably, right? So, I mean, we had effectively the strongest restrictions we've ever had in January 2022, and that didn't prevent Omicron from essentially... Um, uh, the, uh, raging through the city in one of the worst waves the world has ever seen. Um, and even today, I mean, we, we're still getting 4,000 to 5,000 cases a day, irrespective of how we relax or tighten restrictions, which goes to show that with Omicron, as transmissible as it is, sometimes we're under the illusion of control and we feel like we're doing something, but actually we have to be very clear-eyed and objective into how effective each of these restrictions actually are. And uh, I think that applies to a lot of things that we're doing around the city, like uh, community uh, CTNs or uh, 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 you know uh, testing for incoming travellers and things like that. The reality is that most people in Hong Kong are either vaccinated or infected or both, and we have seen that the healthcare system can be quite resilient, even in the face of uh, increased Omicron activity since May. Uh, We've had uh, relatively low numbers of patients in intensive care units, uh, uh, especially compared to the severe wave back in February, so it really does seem that the healthcare system is able to cope, and that's been confirmed uh, by the hospital authority on numerous occasions. The Garmin frequently cites uh, the subvariants as a matter of concern, but let's not forget that all these subvariants are still Omicron. So if you have hybrid immunity against one Omicron subvariant, that, imu- that hybrid immunity against severe disease is largely going to apply to other Omicron subvariants as well. So we are much, much more resilient than perhaps we give ourselves credit for, and it's a good opportunity to essentially normalize things across the board Instead of uh, bit by bit in different sectors, it just adds confusion and complexity.
3: So in other words, would, you, would it be fair to say that we're in need of a paradigm shift perhaps away from this fixation over number of cases towards really just a number of severe cases in ICU and it's high time that we you know, paid, paid less heed in this regard to the, the absolute numbers as long as they don't overwhelm the public health system?
6: 100%. I mean, this paradigm shift is long overdue. This should have happened a few months back, uh, actually, when it became clear that when even when we went up to 10,000 cases on in May, June, it uh, wasn't really having, uh, 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 I'm talking June, July, it wasn't really having that much of an impact on the healthcare system as we feared. In fact, much of the impact on the healthcare system was self-inflicted because we were taking space away from normal hospital activities just to take care of COVID patients. Singapore yesterday announced that they would stop uh, essentially having designated COVID wards and COVID would just be treated as any other respiratory infection in hospital. And that is absolutely the direction we have to go in. And the sooner we do it, I mean, the less uh, economic pain for a lot of people.
4: Right, Dr. Streeton, you you just uh, suggested that we that the government should uh, scrap the amber code system, but the uh, chief executive John Lee already said yesterday that the government had uh, no plans to scrap the amber code system. Um, are there other res- uh, restrictions that can be relaxed apart from that one?
6: I think um, things that they're doing, like the community testing notice, uh, uh, for example. I, I mean, there there is uh, data out from the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, suggesting that it's not a particularly high yield exercise. You still have an ongoing community outbreak irrespective of the CTNs. They're very expensive. So uh, it's it's really time to, I mean, clear-eyed evaluation on whether they have outlived their purpose or not and to uh, really consider moving forward. And that there are many other things, like we, we still have some degree of... Um, the uh, well, dining or gathering restrictions, which are capped at a certain packs, again, we've got to really think about whether it is uh, 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 having any kind of impact whatsoever on the level of COVID in the city. So, how much is it about you know having the illusion of control and thinking you can control the situation versus how effective these measures actually are? So, we've got to clearly uh, evaluate these by the stage of the pandemic.
4: Alright, I, I have an email here from our listener Alonzo. He says uh, I'm curious as to which medical experts the Chief Executive John Lee consults. Every single medical expert who has appeared on your show in the past several months has repeatedly stated that the risk of catching COVID while outdoors is almost non-existent and yet the uh, CE refuses to relax the mask mandate rule. The government can retain the mask mandate while people are indoors but should allow us to remove them while we're outdoors. And uh, that uh, email is from alonso Um, dr strida your comment i I guess you agree with alonso
6: oh yeah i I mean especially outdoors if if if, if you're in outdoor areas the risk of uh uh, catching covid or transmitting covid is markedly reduced compared to indoor settings and we've known this all along and um you know i mean looking at the other side um Back in February, March, I mean, as we all know, mask wearing in Hong Kong was 100 percent, both indoors and outdoors. But um, when you get a very transmissible virus, it is going to transmit. Most of it happens in household settings or workplace settings or indoor settings. Um, so that those are really the areas where uh, I would recommend, especially vulnerable people, to continue remain masking. But in outdoor settings, I think it's I, I think it's uh, the, the the risk is uh, basically very low, and um, yeah, and we, we saw that in the Rugby Sevens last weekend. So let's see what happens in the next uh, two to three weeks. And perhaps that will give more confidence to the government in uh, reviewing their strategy.
4: Right. But I guess the government is being more cautious because of uh, the vaccination rate among the elderly, right? It, it's, it's still not uh, satisfactory, is it?
6: Well, um, we are where we are with two dose vaccine rates, uh, three dose vaccine rates, perhaps uh, it, can, it could to go up a little higher, but again, we have to remember that we are now what is it? We are now 18 months into the vaccination campaign, and uh, we've got to ask, start asking ourselves hard questions on uh, what our goals actually are. Now, this applies to a lot of things. For example, rapid antigen testing for schools. Uh, uh, what? Uh, I mean, recently we had somebody coming out saying you need 100% vaccination before you can actually relax it. It It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. We've we've got to be more realistic on uh, what we can expect uh, the vaccination uptake to be. Encourage vaccination as far as possible. Have policies that get people vaccinated as much as possible. There's no doubt about it. But... It's been 18 months into the vaccination campaign and we need an end game. And there doesn't uh, you know, seem to be a clear stage at which we start talking about the COVID end game in Hong Kong and uh, consider really joining the rest of the world in the post-COVID era.
4: Right. Let's go back to the uh, relaxation of COVID restrictions for inbound tour groups uh, for a moment. And uh, like we, we talked about, uh, um, visitors will be able to dine in uh, partition uh, areas inside restaurants. Uh, but but uh, it's not clear yet uh, what restaurants should do if uh, customers with Amber Code are, are later found to be infected. What's, what's your suggestion? Well,
6: I, I mean, to be honest, at the moment, uh, uh, we don't really take much of an action, right? So say somebody with COVID, a locally infected case uh, ends up in a restaurant and um, a few days later, uh, one or two days later, the person is diagnosed. What are we doing right now? I guess we should do the same thing if uh, that happens. I mean, it's it's just there are limits to what uh, we can do in terms of outbreak investigation in the community. And uh Center for Health Protection for all the wonderful health help work they do. Uh, I mean, staffing is always an issue when it comes to investigating outbreaks like this. And, um, I mean, it, it, it would potentially become a messy situation because it's got one member of the tool group infected Then you've essentially got to Um, quarantine the entire group and very likely they're all going to get infected one by one then you've got to find a place to isolate them it's a lot of hassle you every little rule tweak results in a myriad of new policies that you have to come up with to deal with the fallout which actually has very little impact on public health in Hong Kong because we have thousands of cases every day already. It's like bringing coals to Newcastle as far as uh, COVID in Hong Kong is concerned. So simpler is better. Making life easier for everybody is better by this stage.
3: Thank you. And and Doctor, one last question, which is um, very quickly, how worried should we be about the emergence of non-Omicron variants that may um, undermine public uh, health
6: no evidence that that is happening at the moment. Um, Omicron is king, definitely for the moment. It's evolved a very, very uh, useful strategy of being able to infect people um, uh, who have been vaccinated or infected in the past, and it's basically using that attribute to transmit very effectively. And uh, the the new Omicron subvariants also seem very fit in that regard. So, uh, I mean, even if on the off chance you have a new non-Omicron variant coming out of nowhere, uh, I mean, our immune systems, everybody having been either infected or vaccinated, is still going to be effective in warding off uh, severe illness. Um, Mm. And there is uh, very little doubt about that. It's still a problem for vulnerable elderly folks, but uh, I think for the rest of the population, it's uh, diminishing
4: threat. All right, and Dr. Strida, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Siddharth Strida, a clinical virologist at the University of Hong Kong.
2: You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 266 and have your say.
4: It's now 17 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today and it's about the blood moon total lunar eclipse that appeared last night. To tell us all about it, we're joined by Professor Quinton Parker, Director of Laboratory for Space Research at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Parker. Good morning, Professor Parker.
7: Yes, hello. Good morning. Yes, Hi. I'm
4: here. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Professor Parker, did you have a good look at this uh, astronomical event last night?
7: Well, I, lo- I looked at the the, the uh, images, and my, my son and I. I didn't have a good sightline where I was, and there was a bit of cloud around, and so um, and I had something I, I couldn't get away from, and I had to stay where I was. So I didn't have. I went out a few times to try to see it, and unfortunately, um, the eclipse was low down on the horizon. You know, I only got about 25 degrees above the horizon when the eclipse ended and before that it was uh you know, at sunset it was below the horizon and the the eclipse began at about quarter past six in the evening and it was only the moon was only about eight degrees above the horizon so you needed to have a really good elevation so you could look to a clear horizon to see the eclipse and and many people did and made special trips to see it and they were rewarded with some amazing images. I mean, my son was in Australia and he sent me some incredible images live as I was uh, sitting there fuming that I couldn't see it for myself.
4: So I probably had a better look at it uh, than you then because I watched it uh, on the observatory's YouTube channel last yes, night. Yeah,
7: there was a webcast. Yeah. wasn't showing it all, but you know that's not the same as seeing it with oh, your yeah, that's naked true. eye. <laughs> yes, but
4: I did see that uh, orangey, copper-coloured moon. It was a pretty yes, Yes, it, blood was, moon. yes it was pretty fascinating. But uh, Professor Parker, we have had lot moons before. What's so special about the one last night?
7: Well, I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, the blood moon is, is an event. It's quite rare. I think the one the previous one was uh, some years ago, 25 years ago, perhaps, and the next one won't be till uh, 2025. And it only happens when you have a full um, lunar eclipse. That is, you know, when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon. So the moon is in the Earth's shadow completely, and that's, you know, within and you get a a totality and it lasted for over an hour. Uh, It's just that the colour is because, um, you know, it looks blood red and, and, you know, uh, and that's seen as a portent in times past and uh, it's a beautiful thing to look at compared to what the moon looks like normally when it's a full moon. It's just reflected sunlight when you see the full moon normally. Here it's light that's been, you know, scattered through the Earth's atmosphere to actually illuminate the moon by scattered light through the Earth's atmosphere and and, and blue light is scattered a lot more than than red light so the red light gets transmitted through the atmosphere and it makes the the moon appear red and it's the same kind of process that happens when you look at the sunset and and the sun, you know, as it's going just going down behind the clouds I mean, behind, you know, onto the horizon and the sun is setting. It can be very orange or can even be a very dark red if there's a lot of particles in the atmosphere so you get more scattering. You know, if there's more pollution about the the moon looks uh, much redder than than, than if there isn't. And so it's the same process and so that's the process that causes it. That's that's the the physics of it and and it it looks this beautiful um, uh, blood red colour.
1: Thank
3: you, Professor, and I suppose many must have been over the moon about it, but I guess uh-huh. um, yes, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask, um, what's the state of academic interest in Hong Kong? Did you have a chance to s- discuss the uh, I mean, the eclipse it, with your students?
7: It, yeah, I mean, this is something that the general population can try to check out, you know, if they have the, you know, we, I mean, we're living in a city that has probably some of the worst light pollution of any city on the planet, so it's very difficult to see much of the night sky from, from Hong Kong unless you get to the outer islands and then it's a cloud-free and moon moon. Free night you can see some of the stars and, and you can see some of the planets i mean at one stage you know the moon last night did occlude the planet venus i mean uranus but um uranus is very faint and even in good conditions it's barely detectable to the naked eye so you need a telescope to even see the occultation of, of the planet uranus so that cap- occurred last night as well with uh, with the eclipse of the moon because as the moon goes dark uh, it's not it's not illuminated but fully by the sun because it's, it, it's in the Earth's shadow and so you only see the, the, the light that's gone through the Earth's atmosphere and it looks red. Is that therefore it's darker? The sky, the whole sky is darker. Than it otherwise would be because of that. Like during a, a solar eclipse, the sky goes dark and you see stars during the day during a solar eclipse. And so you can actually see the planet Uranus close to, to the sun before it got occulted if you had a small telescope or a pair of binoculars.
3: So you mentioned Uranus. Uh, um, is it possible in general? um when looking at the eclipse to see other planets and other spatial bodies at large how frequent is that
7: i mean you know um you have venus which is their brightest uh object in, in the night sky after the sun and the moon, uh, and so that's a very bright object even from Hong Kong. You can see uh, Jupiter uh, as quite a bright planet, and uh, you can see Mars as, as a red dot. And so you can, in good conditions in Hong Kong, even in Hong Kong, under a good conditions see see the major planets. And you can also see some of the major constellations like Orion the Hunter, if you know where to look. It's just that the light pollution is so severe that you cannot see the beauty of the night sky as you would see a young man from New New Zealand, I can tell from your accent, or probably Australia, but more likely New Zealand. And, you know, I'm from Australia, and the night sky there in a a dark site where I lived in and you could see the night southern sky in all its glory uh, every night, and it was astonishing. Here in Hong Kong, people uh, don't get to appreciate the beauty of the night sky. They can get to appreciate the beauty of the lights of the city.
3: (laughs) Th- thank you, Professor. Would you actually say um, the rest of the Greater Bay Area is a better site for stargazing, given that there's a dearth of uh, development in uh, uh, vast swathes there, and there's also presumably an absence well, of light I mean, pollution there? the
7: TPA there. is a, a conurbation of eleven major cities with about sixty million people. Uh, so it's a very bright area overall, but there are some darker areas, and certainly once you get north of the GBA, you can get to some quite dark areas in Guizhou and around there, uh, in, in some of the, uh, the interesting country they have there, you can get, you can appreciate the, the northern night sky uh, quite well from parts of China, uh, but uh, you know, um, and one of the darkest places is Australia on the planet to, to do astronomy, and uh, Chile and, and other places like that have superb skies, and wherever you're near a major city with a big population, there's always a problem of light pollution. I mean, some countries are trying to do something about it, reduce the level of light pollution, make sure the light doesn't scatter up but goes down, re- using different kinds of, of, of uh, lamp technologies to do that and shielding technologies to try to preserve uh, the night sky to some degree uh, for astronomy as well. I mean, you know, you know, even from Cunabarabran, uh, you know, six hours from Sydney, and I could still see the glow on the horizon of the city of Sydney quite easily.
4: Right. So this, so this uh, blood moon total lunar eclipse is, uh, is quite rare. It's very rare. When will uh, when will this happen again? Twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. So so yeah. that's uh, when there will be a blood moon and a total lunar eclipse.
7: Well, they're the same thing. I mean, you get the well, you get you see the beauty of the blood moon when it's a full moon, and therefore, it's a full moon. if It's a blood moon. It's in a total eclipse. Right. So the moon is what's completely in the Earth's umbra. You know, if you can actually look at a schematic of it, you can find it on the web very easily. You have the penumbra and the umbra where you have partial obscuration and full obscuration of, of, um, by the Earth uh, between us and the Sun. And so you get a total, so the Moon falls completely in the shadow of the Earth as projected uh, from the Sun to the Earth and on to the Moon. And it's a complete shadow and therefore you get a, what's called a total eclipse of the Moon. And then you see the blood effect because of light that goes through the Earth's atmosphere and then hits the Moon. You know, it gets curved through the Earth's atmosphere and ends up illuminating the moon. But the, uh, as I said earlier, the, the blue light gets scattered a lot more than the red light. So the red light gets through from the sun, and you see the red moon. <laughs>
3: Thank you so much, Professor. Whenever I think of uh, the eclipse, I think of the total eclipse of the heart. But uh, on that, I I just wanted to Uh, to see if you could comment uh, on the... Bonnie Tyler, yes. Yes, Bonnie Tyler. Tyler. Could you comment on the cultural significance and importance of the lunar eclipse um, in different cultures around the world? Is that something that you're familiar with as well? Oh,
7: I'm not very familiar with that. I know that um, in traditional Chinese calendar, which is lunisolar, so, um, you know, the the Chinese New Year happens in February, so the November full moon that's just occurred is only the 10th month. Month in China rather than the 11th month because of that and uh, the, the, the November lunar moon I think, I think it's called Yang Wei or Yang month uh, and I think that's uh, when the, the Tao, is, Tao is Yang, the word Yang it means masculine for, for stronger force and I know that different cultures you know it's called the beaver moon in part of uh, North America you know and so different peoples have called it many different things in their cultures uh, throughout the millennia, you know, and, and some of this is recorded and some of it's lost, you know, and I'm not sure what the Aboriginals call the, 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 the blood moon. I, I actually would like to find that out, so I'll probably check that up after this and find out what the Aboriginals in Australia call the blood moon. But, um, you know, it's called blood uh, because it's the colour red and it looks like the colour of blood, so that's a common name around the world, blood moon, but many cultures have their own specific names for this event. It is quite rare, as I said, it only happens... You know, because the, the orbit of the moon is, is inclined by about 5 degrees to the orbit of what's called the ecliptic and the ecliptic plane is the orbit in which all of the planets basically all of the planets not quite all but go around the sun so all of the planets go around the sun in what's called the ecliptic plane but the angle of the moon's orbit to the earth is inclined to that plane by just over five degrees so that means that getting this alignment is rarer
3: i guess one thing's for certain though that regardless of wherever you are on earth there's a universal value attached to the moon. And on that, actually, back in Hong Kong, what's your favourite um, stargazing spot? Where would you go to hang out with the stars?
7: Uh, i go to Australia, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I if I if, um you know, I've, I've, I've helped out with various things, and uh, there are places you can go. Basically, you, know, you can go to like, parts of Lama Island. Uh, you can get reasonable views. Sometimes, if you go to the outer islands of Hong Kong, uh, you know, parts of Lantau, you can get uh, um, some decent views. Pengcho. Uh, it depends where where you go. You've got to get away from as much of the city light as you can.
6: Anywhere where
7: you can get away from as much of the, even if it's shielded by mountains and hills, then you look away from that to the other horizon and you can get some, you know, where with, with there's no moon and it's, and it's clear sky and there's no cloud. So if it's any cloud, of course, the cloud will just reflect the light from the city makes it hard so if there's no cloud there then that doesn't happen uh, and so you can have a chance to see stars and i've i've been on, on a couple of places where i've seen quite a number of stars with the naked eye and i was actually quite surprised i, I could see as many as, as that but it is hard to even see the milky way i mean you know the milky way uh which is um, so prominent even from um, my cities of my youth in the uk i could still see it but hong kong it's just so much light pollution it's unbelievable amount of light pollution that people forget what it is to uh, appreciate the beauty of the night sky and and that can actually be a, a moment of you know of, of reflection about our place in the universe and people start to think deeply about the meaning of life when they appreciate the beauty and look up at the night sky and see the the wonders of the stars and, and the planets and things it's um it can be quite a uh, quite a, a, a moment an
5: emotional moment for some people
4: right, I just want to check uh, with you for one thing um, earlier there was I mean earlier there- this year there was another blood moon, right? But then it was just that it was not visible from Hong Kong. Is that correct? But it's,
7: I mean. The- the night side of the planet can, can see the blood moon now, on the night side. If you're not on that side, and it only lasts for a few hours, then you're not going to see it. So if you're on the, on the daylight side of the planet, then you're not going to be able to see. So it's only the part that's in nighttime that, uh, on the Earth that will be able to see the blood moon. And depending on where you exactly are, where the exact number is, then you see a partial eclipse or a total eclipse. So, you know, it does depend where you are on the surface of the Earth. So, you know, this was seen well from, from parts of, of Asia and, and from Australia because my son sent me a, a wonderful uh, full, full moon, blood moon image that he, he, he took. Uh, you know, so I thought, this is really impressive. So, but if you check on the web, you can actually see uh, examples that people have taken of the blood moon from all around the world uh, from the night side.
4: All right, uh, Professor Parker, unfortunately we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you on our program. and That's uh, Professor Quinton Parker, Director of Laboratory for Space Research at the University of Hong Kong. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us this morning and of course to our guest presenter Brian Wong and producer Yuki. And now here's the weather. Sunny intervals with highs of around 25 degrees. Winds moderate east to northeasterlies. Right now it's 24 degrees. Relative humidity 74%.
6: You dump rubbish and leave old motorcycles in the alley. I clean it all up. You dump boxes, cigarette butts, take away meal containers and drink cans at the street corner. I clean it up. People even dump construction debris and old furniture everywhere. She dumps rubbish. He dumps rubbish too. We keep cleaning it up. That's a never-ending cycle. It's time to change. Stop dumping
4: rubbish. Keep the environment clean for a better Hong Kong. It's now 9:30, the news with Bob Warden.
1: The woman